I'm Chad. And I'm Cheese. And we are the Chad and Cheese Podcast. Our podcast covers news, startups, AI, automation, programmatic, and all the things the kids are excited about. (laughs) And then we drown it with a healthy dose of snark, attitude, and four-letter words. Subscribe to the Chad and Cheese Podcast today, wherever you listen to your podcasts. To help set the expectations of your candidates or your pre-candidates, whatever we're calling those people who one day will want to apply or you'll one day want them to apply when they're actually ready to talk about jobs, whatever we're going to call them, prospects, I don't care. But what have you done today to set those expectations? Now, that's not a random question. It's not a crazy question because in a lot of ways, setting expectations is exactly what your job as an employer brand professional is really all about. You are expected to help people understand what it's like to be there, to set expectations. Now, for a long, long time, we expected recruiters to set those expectations, and they would do that by phone screening candidates and asking them things like, so uh, the the salary is X to Y. Are you comfortable with that? Are you comfortable with uh, wearing a suit every day? Are you comfortable uh, traveling? Are you comfortable lifting heavy things? Are you comfortable in collaborative environments? Are you comfortable working all day without a lot of communication from leadership, et cetera, et cetera? Etc. But that's shifted quite a bit, right? That's shifted a lot. Recruiters right now are checking a couple of boxes, but really what they're trying to do is look for matches. When they're doing their job really, really well, what they're trying to do is understand the job and the manager and the hiring manager and the culture and what the job really entails, and then matching it to someone who fits that idea, right? It's not a game of like equals like. It's so much as it is look we generally are very sharky. We need someone who is comfortable in a sharky environment. We're very generally very consensus-driven. We need someone who can be comfortable in a consensus-driven space, right? That's, that's what they're doing. They're looking for those matches so that when they bring the candidate up to the hiring manager, the hiring manager really can nail down what's going on, right? So that means the expectation game lands firmly on your shoulders. So when I say expectations, what do I mean? I mean very simply that candidates and prospects and really anybody who would ever want a job anywhere in the universe, let's be fair, all they want is one thing. It's not money. It's not fame. It's not power. That's just me. Um, It's just to have a sense of what it's like to work there, right? No matter how much we've changed in the last 20 years, no matter how much we've embraced employer brand in the last 5, 10, 20 years, no matter how much we think we've moved things forward, When you get right down to it, there's not a lot of information out there about your jobs and your company and what it's really like to work there, mostly because people are nervous about sharing that information. They're worried that lawyers or HR will come in and say, why did you say that? And always in that tone of voice, right? Um, So they tend to kind of keep quiet. Um, We all know plenty of stories of people who said something on social media and got them fired. So consequently, we all know, hey, you better think twice and a third time, maybe not, if not a fourth time, about sharing that information online. Yes, you've got rating sites and Glassdoor and all that good stuff to kind of share that, but they share it in such a kind of looking at the world through a drinking straw kind of world, the kind of mentality. Here's a pro, here's a con, your advice to management? What do I care as a candidate what your advice to management is? I mean, I I guess I can read between the lines, but you're making me still do a lot of work to understand what is it like to work there. To be fair, candidates are desperate, and I use that word judiciously. They are desperate to have a sense of what it's like to work there. Your job is to give them that while setting those expectations because 
explaining what it's like to work somewhere and setting those expectations are one and the same. And that's why really what you're doing all day is playing the expectations game. And that's what we're going to talk about today when we get back. Welcome to the Talent Cast, the world's most caffeinated employer brand podcast. I'm your host, James Ellis. And I've been doing employer brand for years now, and I absolutely love the industry. I love how it's growing. I love how it's changing. And I've tried to do my part to elevate the concept, to get everybody to understand the power employer brand can have in hiring, attracting, and retaining talent. So we try to really focus on driving home the idea that this is a calling and a craft. It's a lot of getting your hands dirty, but it's also a lot of big strategic thinking. And that's where we kind of live, that kind of uh, Venn diagram, the intersection between those the big ideas and the getting the details right. So we talk a lot about employer brand and how to do it right and how to think about it and how to look at your problems in a whole new way. Ready to rock? One, two, three, let's go. Hey, how you doing? James Ellis here. Um, Playing with a microphone. Sound good? Sound okay? Thanks so much. Um, Really, uh, (laughs) housekeeping is sign up for the newsletter if you want a weekly update on what's going on in the employer brand world. There you go, employerbrand.news. It's in the show notes. There you go. Anyway, setting expectations, right? You are, you know, candidates want to know what it's like. There's still so little information out there. When they Google what's it like to work at company X, they're getting very, 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 very limited information. I mean, think of the amount of information about a TV show like The Mandalorian, which yes, I did. I watched it. I'm a nerd. What do you give me a break? Uh, there, It's uh, eight episodes. Not one of them is more than 41 minutes. Uh, some of them are as little as 32 minutes. So you're talking about really five hours of information, five hours of a TV show with limited people in it. It's not even a cast of thousands. It's not like the Avengers, the last episode of the Avengers when 4,000 people show up in the last 10 minutes. There's a limited number of people in this movie. It's a fairly, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a movie or an, a, a TV show set in a very niche part of a universe. It's teeny. And yet if you go to Wikipedia, if you go to Twitter, if you go online and you ask questions, there is a huge community, Reddit alone, huge community talking about what did this character mean when they said this and what happened here and how does this tie into this other thing and at the end of it there's a reveal about a sword that I had no idea that meant you know meant anything and everybody's like oh my god it's the thing yay there is so much information heck there are websites and uh, articles and 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 just breaking down episode by episode each thing okay this is what this means it was a nice little callback when they did this they break all this stuff down this is a stupid Less than four-hour show. Find me five-hour show. This is a simple thing. And yet this place, your work, where you spend 8, 10, 12 hours a day times however many people work there, think about how little information there is about your company out there relative to, say, something like The Mandalorian, relative to something like The Watchmen, right? Watchmen was fantastic, by the way. Um, there's very little information. I mean, you think, okay, yeah, I have a website, and yeah, I've got a Twitter account, and yeah, we post some stuff on Facebook and LinkedIn, and hey, there's Google review or uh, Google and Glassdoor and ratings, and hey, we got a couple of videos. Good, I've, I've given everybody all the information they need, and the truth is, you've given them ex- almost nothing, right? Unless you've given them a half-hour movie on what the HR team really does all day and how they approach the world, you haven't told an HR candidate what it's really like to work there. You really haven't, and I don't think and. You can convey a lot of information in 30 minutes, but asking someone to change their entire life, you need to give them that, right? You really need to give them more than just, hey, we're a brand and the paycheck will clear. Come on and apply. 
They're desperate. Candidates are desperate to understand what it's really like to work there. And you're giving them so little, such crumbs from a very, 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 very laden table, right? The amount of information about your job, about your company, about all the other people who work there, about the culture, about the values, about the structure, about the processes, about the politics, about the interactions between people, about how teams work, how do you reserve a room? Hey, are you in Gmail or an Outlook company? Are you a, you know, do you do everything virtually? Do you everything do in person? Is, is stuff happened by a water cooler? Do you have a water cooler? How's the coffee? he says for the hundredth time. All of that information, almost none of it are you putting forth, right? If you're a Mac person and you look for a job, you're one of the questions you're going to ask is, are you Mac friendly? Because so many companies are still, hey, we're PC driven. That's going to streamline our IT support system. So you just have to get used to a PC. And there are plenty of people who would say, yeah, I'm good. I'd rather have my Mac because I know I feel comfortable using it. And that's just one little tidbit. Myself, I would really do not look forward to the concept of ever having to work in a company where I have to wear a suit every single day. It's just not how I roll. I want to know the dress code. And I don't want to know the dress code for the interview. Yes, I promise. I will dress up. I will be pretty. I will do my best to make this particular face as attractive as possible for the 30 minutes you have to look at it. But for the 10 hours a day every day after that, what am I wearing? Am I wearing comfortable shoes or not? Am I wearing jeans or not? What is it like to work there? There's so many questions I might have. And let's be fair, in the interview process, what is the likelihood that I'm gonna ask, hey, what's your jeans policy here? No, what I'm doing is I'm looking around the office and kind of going, okay, okay, some people are wearing jeans and they seem to be getting away with it, but I can't quite tell, are these the interns or, is, or are these the managers? I can't quite tell the difference yet. I, can't, I don't have enough information here. So I'm getting these tiny signals about what it's like to work there without actual information. Now, the trick is when you give very little information and give it out to someone, they're forced to read between the lines. Now, the nice thing is if they actually are willing to read between the lines, they're engaged enough to want to know more about you and they're going to make a really good interview candidate and potentially even a really good hire. Good for you. The problem is if you're asking people to make choices based on limited information between, you know, with, with reading between the lines sort of thing, what they're trying to do is project questions they have about what they see as their own way of working into your model, which is of limited information, and trying to guess what's it going to be like. Are they going to be cool that I have a really weird hobby? Are they going to be cool that at four o'clock I have to leave every day for, for dance class or something? Are they going to be, you know, and, and come on back online for three hours at the end of the day to do a very busy day, but I have this hobby. I have this thing. Are they going to be cool that you have a kid? Are they going to be cool that day your kid gets sick for two days? And let's be fair, going to happen. Is it, are they going to be cool that, you know, you're, I don't know, you're of a religion that is not the standard religion and you have different holidays? How does that play out? Is it how, frankly, the information about how comfortable is the company giving PTO is a closely guarded secret. For example, yes, you get two weeks. Yes, you get unlimited. Whatever that number is officially in the policy, can you really take it all? Or are you going to have a boss who goes, yeah, I can only let you have half of that because it's a very, very busy time in the office. How do you really get that? Hey, you have two weeks, but you have to use a week of it between Christmas and New Year's when it's dead anyway. Well, okay, but that information doesn't exist anywhere. 
Where if it does, it's so far buried in the, in the bowels of the internet, you'll never find it. But that's crucial information. That tells me a lot about your company. Now, when you set expectations, and by the way, that's what we're talking about. Your job is to set those expectations. When you're here, it's going to be like this. The game of expectation setting is entirely yours. I think I've said this once. When I was a kid, I had, uh, I, had a, I think my mother, I guess, you know, I'm, I'm projecting now, um, gave me a mug, and it was a white mug, so I looked at it and glanced at it, and I assumed, ah, it's white liquid, and it must be milk. And I drank it, and it was disgusting because it was water. I set the expectation that this white mug contained a white liquid, which was milk, and expected it to be milk. And when it tasted like water, that tasted disgusting. Was the water gross? No, it tasted exactly like water. But if my expectation is for milk and you give me water, whatever you've given me is foul. However, if I know you're giving me water, I'm going to be completely satisfied because I know that's water. I might want milk. I might want beer. I might want coffee. I always want coffee. But if I know what I'm getting, I feel far more comfortable with what I get. That's the power of expectations. If you walk into a job and they say, hey, we're all lovey-dovey and we're all here to help each other and we treat each other like a family, and then you walk in and everybody's working 16 hours a day and they're beating each other up and stabbing each other in the back, how much is that like a family? You set the wrong expectations. Or you allowed not enough information to get out because you leaned on this holy silly symbol of we're like a family and you allow that to be enough information when in fact we're like a family is effectively no information whatsoever what do you mean you're like a family do you mean you're all codependent and weird do you mean that you're all in it together in your go team do you mean that there's that one cousin no one likes to talk to but you can't get rid of them because they're your cousin or does it mean that's just the thing we say to say we're generally pretty nice until we fire your ass all four of those things could be true. And frankly, I could come up with 10 more different ways what we are like a family means. <laughs> you want to know what the weirdest organization I ever worked for was? It was one that was small enough that the owner and the co-owner were in fact related. That's a family business. And, that, and, and trust me, there is no communication. There's no getting into that. Saying we're like a family effectively means you will have no say whatsoever because dad's in charge. And whatever dad says goes. And dad's brother may have kind of an influencing factor, but ultimately you don't matter because you're just the kid. There's a fifth way we're like a family. That's a fifth different interpretation of the concept of we're like a family. And if you just lean on these symbols like we're like a family or we're very open, bring your whole self to work, and all the other kind of glad, handy, BS, bullshit, kind of nice things to say we say about companies and we allow ourselves to say about the companies because it's safe, leave these huge gaps of reality that we are not addressing, right? If you say we're super collaborative, okay. What does that mean? We talked about the concept of an edge before, I think in a year ago. We talked about this idea that if your position to be all about your value is collaboration, we value the, the smartest idea wins, but really when we do it together, we do it better, right? That kind of concept is a great value to hold. And I know plenty of companies I've worked with and worked for companies that hold exactly that value. And how true is it? 
Is it always true? Is it true to the bitter end? Or is it true when it serves everybody's purposes? But at some point, some highly paid VP is going to say, no, we're doing it this way. And it may not be the best idea, but because they're the highest paid VP, their way is the highway. It's their way of the highway, right? It's, it's They get to run ragged. It's a great value, and it, it works perfectly until it doesn't, at which point we all fall apart. That is an expectation-setting process. If you say we're like a family or we're always collaborative or we value the best idea wins, that's great. But that is like the first line of a novel you forgot to write, right? It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. Okay, you got me hooked. I'm interested. Let me hear more. No, no. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. That's all I got. Thanks so much for playing. I got to go. No, 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 no. Come back. You need to give me more information. You need to give me a lot more information because saying it was the best of times, it was the worst of times, I can project into that um, anything, literally anything. I can say this story is going to be, and I can, it will go in a million different directions, and only one of them might be right. In fact, maybe none of them are right, but you didn't do a good job setting expectations. Now, what happens is when you do a good job setting expectations, when you really explain this is what it's like, and to me, when you say this is what it's like means skipping the highfalutin, high-minded, conceptual stuff and getting down to, hey, if you're not here by 9 o'clock, people look at you funny. That's a good, that's a good, that's a good factoid. I like that. That's a good data point. Interesting. Yes. Hey, we get three weeks of vacation and you really were super flexible. You can spend it whenever you want. You just need two weeks notice to let people know you're going to be gone. Okay. That's a great factoid. That's super helpful. I'm now forming a very clear understanding of what this company is and how it works. Do you say that? No, you say three weeks of vacation and then you walk away, right? If you explain to me that we pay for lunch, oh, okay, that's really nice. That's great. Except it only is for the first 50 people in line. It's usually gone by 1204. Uh, okay, okay, that's, use that's information. That's useful information. It may not be what I want to hear, but it is real information. It's the dirty, nitty-gritty stuff. It's the, the dirt beneath the company's fingernails of how it gets the job done that paints the picture that I'm desperate to hear. Remember, that's how we started. Candidates are desperate to understand this stuff. If you just hand them the glad handy photos or the super happy photos, God help you, the stock art, or my new bugbear, people who are making photos themselves to look as close to stock art as humanly possible, what are you doing? You're, you're not giving the full, full picture. Is it always pictures of the picnic? No, unless you go to a picnic every day. Is it always goofy pictures where people are blowing up balloons and filling an office full of balloons? No, unless that's something you do every day. Is that useful information? Is that a data point? Yes. But if you don't want people to assume that is the standard process, you have to fill it in with more information. And that information is what's, what's lacking in so many employer brands. They stick to those fuzzy bunny values. They stick to bring your whole self to work. Oh, so I can show up in my Batman outfit? No. Okay, so not my whole self. So my, my whole self that's useful to you, but not the Batman outfit. Okay, good, 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 good to know. That is a line. That is not the same as bring your whole self to work, right? It's nice to say bring your whole self to work. It makes you feel good to say we're open to all points of view and all people and creeds and religions and races and what have you. Everything, everybody come on in. Water's fine. Except the guy in the Batman outfit. Oh, okay, 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 got it. Drawing a line makes claims clear. 
It provides realism. It provides clarity and contrast to make you understand what is this company really about? What is it really like to work there? Now, when you meet expectations, the magic thing that happens is that you actually, one, first off, you'll be in like the top 1% of all companies actually giving enough information that's useful. <laughs> Simply using the vacation PTO policy example I used earlier. It's like, yes, it's three weeks, but, and then all the other details that happen behind the but. By the way, by the way, uh, my second marriage, yes, you've now learned a bit about me, was to a therapist who I learned a lot from not really in contact with anymore on purpose, but one of the most magical things she ever taught me was the concept of the word but, B-U-T. Anything you say before the but is the crap you want people to think. Everything that happens after the but is the real shit. Meaning, or that is to say, the word but actually stands for behold the underlying truth. It was magical when you say, "Look, this is an amazing place to work. Uh, we get three, we get unlimited vacation. Um, you know, they, they serve us lunch." But uh, 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 here it comes anything after that is the real information. That's the power. Embrace that idea. Everybody stops before the but. Everybody goes, we have these wonderful things. Look at all this PTO. We have a wonderful office. Um, we have all these cool perks, but. You never get a chance to use them, but your boss will never be cool with you using them. But the expectation is da, 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 da. That's the brand. <laughs> you want to tell me that you are incredibly smart and strong? Great. But that's the information. Everything after the but is what your employer brand really is is everything before the butts what you make the poster out of it's what the first page of your website is and and we can go back to that whole impact thing we've talked about impact right that every single company seems to say make an impact but <laughs> you have to be here four years before you can make an impact but you have to be a vp but someone has to let you but you have to be magically special and skilled at something no one else has ever thought of before in order to do that what's the but so once you really understand the concept of setting that expectation, of, be, of playing the expectation games. What is the outcome? Well, we've talked about a long time ago that the concept of Glassdoor, right, is not, it, and let's be fair, Glassdoor has spent a lot of time, energy, and money over the past, what, 10 years now, convincing everybody that their Glassdoor rating is a rating of the company, and that's not true. What the Glassdoor rating is, is a rating of how well recruiters set expectations. What do I mean? If I tell you that the company is great and the company you show up to sucks, there's your one-star review. There's your two-star review. If I tell you that the company is a hard place to work, but there are rewards or this is why we do it, and I show up to work and that's exactly what I get, here's my four-star review. Here's my five-star review. Expectations are the game. That's the power. That's how Glassdoor works. If I know what I'm getting into and my expectations are met, and if they're even slightly exceeded, here's your five-star review. So when you do a good job setting proper expectations, what happens? One, people become more interested because you're saying real stuff. You've gone beyond the bullshit. You've moved past the butt. You, have, you are telling me what's really going on. Now, that is really hard to do because... 
the reality over in legal and the reality over in sales and the reality over in product and the reality over in leadership may be four different realities. And if you try and gloss over them and saying, here's the reality for everybody, kind of sort of, if you squint real hard, that's the stuff before the butt, <laughs> right? The reality is, yeah, we're a really close knit team until tax season happens and the accountants go, oh God, when tax season happens, blah, 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 blah. This is their reality. If you say it's an, it's an eight hour day, except after, except for tax season, but if you don't say the, except for tax season, the accountants go, oh, it's an eight hour day. Got it. And then, you know, first quarter rolls around. You're like, good Lord, what's going on? This isn't an eight hour day. Oh yeah. No, tax season is a whole different thing. So setting expectations increases interest because you're giving someone more information than they're getting any place else. You're opening the kimono. You're providing realistic understanding. You're providing real expectation. Two, people engage because suddenly you don't sound like a poster. You don't sound like a Hallmark card. You don't sound like a post-it note. You don't sound like a fortune cookie. You sound like someone who's been through it and can talk about it and is happy to talk about the good, the bad, and the ugly. And when you do that, people engage. People are far more likely to engage, right? You look at books about, you know, uh, you know how to have, you know, nice little chit-chat conversations, and they never say, "Tell me what it's one, you know, tell me one wonderful thing in your life," because that's a lot of blah blah. They say, ask questions that are unusual, ask questions that support a deeper dive conversation, and questions like that are, "Hey, what's the worst thing that ever happened to you as a kid?" You ask someone that, you are about to have a very interesting conversation. If you ask someone, what's the worst part about your, your job right now? What's the one part of your job you loathe? You're about to have a very interesting conversation. Now, as recruiters in HR, or employer brand and talent acquisition type people, we're usually trying to veer away from those conversations as hard as possible. We're trying like, no, don't have those conversations. That's scary. But having, this is about setting expectations. If you say, here's the bad but also temper it with here's the good, people get to make that decision. They feel pretty confident about making that decision. The other part of that is the retention conversation. And usually employer brand people like to tack on increased re re retention to all their metrics without ever tapping into how that works. Well, this is how it works. If I know it's going to be hard and I've chosen the job that is hard, I'm much more inclined to stick with the job that is hard because I made an informed choice, because my expectations were met, because I expected X, I got X. Great. I, I, should, I will continue with this. I got a little more than X. This is fantastic. <laughs> I can't wait for whatever happens next year. Your retention increases because people are actually getting what they thought they were going to get, right? And if you don't set expectations, what you're really doing is giving the pablum bull that everybody else seems to give. And like I said, if everybody says, join us to make an impact, are you suggesting that if I join another company, I'm not going to make an impact? Because I think they do offer impacts at pretty much every job if you do your job right. Most of them, that's not 100% true, but it's pretty fair. Most jobs give you an opportunity to make an impact. If you do your job twice as well as what they expected, you've made some sort of impact and you're going to get promoted and they're blah, blah, blah. There you go. Doesn't matter what the job is. I imagine, although I have no information on this, that if you join the post office and you're twice as good at what they do, you're going to make an impact. Maybe you can suggest changes. Maybe you can get promoted. There are ways of making an impact. 
But if you just stick to the pabulum of join us and make an impact, you're going to get nowhere because one, you sound like everybody else. Two, you're not realistic because you're not showing the, the edge of it, the, the contrasting side. You're not showing the butt. And I didn't mean for that to get become this weird double entendre, but here we are. Um, and what you're really leading to is confusion and frustration. The candidate will be go, I can't tell the difference between this company and that company. I can't tell the difference between this pharmaceutical company and this accounting company. I can't tell the difference between this consulting company and this startup because they're all kind of saying the same thing. They all read the Google playbook and they said, ah, we got to say these same things about because this is what the audience really cares about. So we'll say it to them and not back it up very strongly and not give contrast and not give edge and not really explain what the butt is and anything after that. So consequently, everybody sounds the same regardless of industry. And how am I supposed to make a choice with that? How are you supposed to make a choice with that? How is your candidate supposed to make a choice with that? In a lot of ways, your job is to play the expectations game. Understand what they expect. Understand what your competition is saying. Understand what they're being told by your competitors. Understand what they're being told in articles and all that other stuff, right? And then meet, if not exceed those expectations. Set, meet, and exceed those expectations. That's your job, right? If you tell candidates they're going to hear back from the recruiter in two days with, you know, with further details, you know what you better do? Make sure they hear back in two days. If they hear back in two days in one minute, you've missed your expectations. If you said it's going to be about two days, maybe three, depending. I know there's a holiday coming up and we're super busy. Setting expectations is the process. I know setting the expectation of when you're going to hear back from the uh, recruiter is not your job, probably. (laughs) That is true. But understand that when you're a candidate, you're on the outside looking in, all you have is the limited slice and peek in that information inside that company you are given. Any information will be magnified. If I tell you I'm going to talk to you in a day and I don't talk to you for a day and a half, you've just broken promises. And now I think everybody in the company is a bunch of lying bastards. And I think everybody likes to lie and everybody breaks promises. Why? Because I had no other interaction with the company but what you did. Right? With little information, anything you do to win or lose that conversation, to win or lose that expectation is magnified 10 if not 100 times. This is why expectations are so powerful. Yes, a lot of brand information seeps into them before they even start looking for a job. A lot of brand information seeps into them while they are looking for a job. But no one has made them a promise until the recruiter did or the hiring manager or maybe you. So you better make sure that you're setting and meeting, if not exceeding, those expectations. Thanks so much for listening. Uh, As always, thanks so much for sharing. Thanks so much for joining the newsletter, for talking, for engaging. Thanks so much for sharing. I'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye. This has been an episode of the Talent Cast, part of the Evergreen Podcast Network. If you'd like to get in touch with me, a couple ways to do that. Obviously, there's Twitter, at The War for Talent. You can go to the podcast website at thetalentcast.com. If you'd like to stay up to date on the news of this industry and what's going on, just go to employerbrand.news and sign up for the email newsletter with lots of news and links to other places. If you just want to connect with me on LinkedIn and just say hello or let's just talk, that's linkedin.com slash in slash the war for talent. Or I bet if you just search for James Ellis, I pop up pretty quick. Otherwise, if you have any questions, concerns, considerations, ideas for podcasts, holler at me, let me know what's going on. Thank you if you've shared it. Please share if you haven't. Rate us, review us. I love all that stuff. It really does help kind of keep the message going and get the message out there. Thanks again, and uh, we'll see you next week.
how much do you understand the future of finance? I'm Jim Roos, a top 10 banking influencer and host of the podcast Banking Transform, where we dive deeply into the rapidly evolving world of banking and financial technology. Join me as I interview industry experts, thought leaders, and innovators as they unravel the latest banking trends, disruptions, and game-changing technologies reshaping the world of finance. Redefine your understanding of the banking ecosystem. Subscribe now to Banking Transformed, available wherever you get your podcasts and now available on YouTube.